Ah, hallelujah. It's good to be back in. And uh, survived a weekend away with the family. <laughs> and we're still married. <laughs> okay, you got your Bibles. We're going to go with 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Just a verse of script, couple of verses of Scripture. And then we'll see uh, where that takes us. Good to have Terry in this morning. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. I'll tell you after. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll, I've decided, I was going to go in one direction this morning, and I'm going to roll two, two sort of directions into one. So you're going to get a bit of a um, mixed grill. A bit of a mixed grill this morning, all right? Mike's looking at me. Mike almost said to me before the start of the meeting, um, could we pray for Grimsby Town Football Club? <laughs> Sack their manager. So, uh, but we won't be doing that. No, no. The only good thing that comes out of Grimsby is the road back to Plymouth. <laughs> I'm Michael, I'm Michael. Bless you, mate. Good to see you. Okay, here we go. Here we go. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. What a great start to the day. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all these vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she came and told the man of God and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Great story. Great, great story. You don't need a miracle until you've got a problem. The minute you've got a problem, you need a miracle. It doesn't matter how big the problem or how small the problem, you need a miracle. This woman's in dire straits. Absolute mess. She's got a problem. She says to Elisha, your, your servant, he was one of the, of the school of the prophets under Elisha, your servant has served the Lord faithfully. Faithfully. But there's one issue here 
which is outstanding. He served the Lord faithfully, her husband, but he hasn't laid up for his wife and family after his death. In fact, what's happened here, because of the circumstances, he's run up a big, huge debt. Yet he served the Lord faithfully. That's not a good principle, man. First thing we must do is lay up for our wives and family in the event of us going to glory. There must be something laid up. A good steward does that. The breadwinner's gone. So in that, under the law of that day, her two sons would be taken into slavery as to pay off the debt. But that left her totally vulnerable. She's lost the breadwinner. Now she's lost her future. Because with her sons gone, she cannot earn a living. She's destitute. Now, her identity has just changed. Before, she lived off the identity of her husband. He was one of the school of the prophets. Your identity is summed up in the eyes of other people by what you do or what you are. So if you were to mention the name, who shall I pick on? Well, okay, I'll pick on Charles. If I come to you and say, Charles, you immediately have some kind of picture in your mind of Charles and what he's like, what he does, what he doesn't do. He doesn't do the dishes. <laughs> Give me some more. Give me some more. <laughs> Give me some more. He doesn't do a lot of DIY. Dave Clift in our midst, my son in our midst this morning, has his wife decorating the house this weekend. And where's Dave? On the sofa. Man of destiny. When a name is mentioned to you, you immediately identify something of their character and their makeup. But for this woman, she's in trouble. She was identified with her husband before. Now her husband's gone, and her sons are in the process of being taken away from her. She's got a new identity coming. Unless a miracle happens. Now, I was thinking about this the other day, this identity thing. And I saw something that I've never seen before. It says this, the serpent, the enemy, Satan, was more cunning than any other beast of the field. 
He's more cunning. What I'm learning the older I get is he doesn't just come with one agenda in your life. We think at times he does. And when we think in one dimension with him, he has more than one agenda for the situation you find yourself in at this moment of time. Let me, let me show you, try and show you something. Okay, keep your finger in Kings. We're going to come back there again in a minute. But I want to talk about identity for a little while. So, he's more cunning. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And that's where we sort of look at his attack and major our teaching on. He's challenging God's word. But he's up to more than that. And we'll find out in a minute. And the woman said to, to, to Satan, we, you, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened Take the identity away from Adam and Eve. He's not only challenging God's word, has God said, but he's taking the identity away from Adam and Eve. How can I prove it? Okay. Let's go across to the first chapter Verse 27. You see, God has been saying a lot of things up until now. And then he comes out on the sixth day with that great statement. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created but he says in verse 26 above that, then he said, let us make man in our image, the Trinity. That's the Trinity in there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God says, we three are going to create man in our image. Now that doesn't mean he's going to make Adam and Eve God, but he's going to give them the, some of the attributes, the characteristics of God himself. So they're going to know pure love. They're already pure because at this moment of time they haven't sinned. So they're going to be given the love that God has for one another and for God. They're going to be given understanding because God's going to say, you're going to name all the animals, everything that needs naming. I'm giving you that responsibility, Adam, and the ability to do it. So he says to the God the Father, the God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. What did Satan say? 
For God knows in the day you eat it, it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. They were already like God. Their identity was already in God. But Satan comes along and he wants to take their identity away. Because a person without identity is a lost person. If you don't know your identity, who you are, and as a Christian, if you don't know your identity, that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, you're going to struggle. And there will be voices around you suggesting, do this, do that. It doesn't matter what anybody else says, just do that. Be like this. Don't follow what God says. Do your own thing. You're not hurting anybody. You're not being obnoxious. Yes, but yes, you are. You may not be hurting somebody earthwise, but your heavenly Father, in whose image you are made, is hurting. Because you're rejecting him. So Satan is after your identity. He's not only after the Word of God inside you, He's after who you are. He's got to get you to believe that there is, you're not who God says you are. But if you'll follow my way, you will find life. If you follow my way, I'll lead you a different way to God, he says. And and if you follow me, I'll offer you riches. I'll offer you kingdoms. I'll offer you fame. Isn't that what he did to Jesus? If you'll bow down and worship me, Jesus, I'll offer you all this. But in doing that, you lose your identity. Or you might be a mechanic. You might be a whatever, teacher. You might, well, it doesn't matter what your profession is. What matters is what's your identity in here. Because what your identity is, is what you're following. Or who you're following. You see, he's more cunning than we realize. We think he just comes to get us off the word. Yes, he does. But he comes also to steal your identity, to make you believe that you are not in Christ. Can we have that on the screen, please? And then removes it and says, I'm a new creation. A new beginning. But he gives me, in being a new creation, he gives me a new identity. I have a new identity. No, it doesn't matter. Hear me. If you were to meet some people from my past and say, what was Rob Cliff like? You get some horrendous stories. Because that's what I was like. Can't deny it. Not proud of it. 
but I'm a new creation. Yes, amen. Amen. Old things. <laughs> Samuel, I don't like you anymore. That's true. That's what hangs on. That's what keeps my identity. I don't keep my identity. He keeps my identity when I'm walking in close with him. Now, if anyone is a new creation, old things, that's not Wendy. (laughs) Old things have passed away. The problem is I can still remember them. But my Father in heaven doesn't remember them. In fact, when I start talking about them, if if I'm not using it for his kingdom, it grows. I do remember what I was like. And the longer I remember that, the more I remember that, the more likely I am to slip back into those ways. And I start to lose my identity. Behold, all things have become new. I have a new identity because I am a Now, don't look at the wrinkles on my forehead. Don't look at the tide going out. I keep saying to Dave and my family and Sarah, as the tide goes out, the tide will come back. John, you go, tide's got a long way to come. (laughs) Right. This widow, you see, when you become a widow or a widower, your identity changes. It's true, isn't it? It's true. Sadly. Sadly. When something kicks into your life, it changes your identity or it challenges your identity. The creditors are coming. Take her sons. She's going to be remembered as the widow who lost her husband and lost her sons and is destitute. She's going to end up begging on the streets. If she was a young widow, the other alternative would have been prostitution. Nobody would have employed her. There was no social services. There was no backup system. Your identity was wiped out the minute your husband died. And now the whole village around would know her as poor old widow. That's her new, potentially her new identity. you've got a problem, you need a miracle. You've got a problem, you need a miracle. 
You see, when God supplies miracles, he's showing his identity. purpose of the miracle isn't just to solve that problem. And we get very excited when it happens, and rightly so. But the purpose of the miracle is to display his identity to you and to me. That he's a good father. He's a good father. So how do I get my miracle? You've got to stop looking at what you haven't got. Start with what you have. Start with, stop looking at what you haven't got and start looking at what you've got. Well, what have I got? What has she got? A quarter empty jar of oil. Not great, is it? Probably enough for one more meal or whatever. And then it's over. Her sons would have been gone. And she picks up a hopeless identity. Not her fault. Tough times to live in. I'm not blaming her husband, but he didn't, for whatever reason, good or bad, he didn't lay up anything for her future. In the event of. Start with what you have. What have I got? Not a lot. But it's a starting point. Stop looking at what you don't have. Because when you stop looking at what you don't have, you start looking at what you, who you do have. I know over the lifetime, 50 years of marriage. Wow. It's incredible. Where's it gone? I don't know. Has it been all good? No, we had Dave. (laughs) Golden boy. Golden boy. I have to say, at a very early age, I mean... Iris and Wendy used to laugh at me. When he was one and two years old, I said, he's academically bright. (laughs) And Iris used to laugh, didn't you, Iris? (laughs) (laughs) And Wendy used to smile at me. Perhaps the only time I've ever been right in 50 years of marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't all been good. But then that's like Dan said earlier on, that's life. We don't dismiss life, we have to face life. As Christians, we have to face life. But we never face it alone. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. You know, I'm not going to go into any examples because comparing examples doesn't help anybody. But I know there have been times when I felt desperately alone. 
expertly alone. But Jesus was always there. Part of being a Christian is learning your new identity. Despite discouraging words that will come your way. And they don't always come from the enemy. They come from people. That's true. Come from people. You know, my identity was being formed when I was in secondary school. And I've always say that well-known phrase of mine, it was not secondary, it was fourth, fifth, and sixth. It was that bad. We got the teachers that no other school would take. And I even questioned whether they could read and write. <laughs> it was terrible. When I look back, I mean, my child, I was robbed. You know, and then when I became a plumber and went to work, I have to do some jobs in the grammar schools in Sutton High and Dumbo High for boys and girls. I used to see the facilities they had and I used to get a bit angry inside. We had nothing. You know, they, for, for, for sports, they used to say to us, your sport, you know, we were in Prince Rock. And, and it's the only school in Plymouth surrounded by a road. It was an island. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the authorities mined the streets. <laughs> After we turned up, they put mines on the pavement to keep <laughs> us in. But our playing field, we were told, was out at, um, right opposite where McDonald's is. It plumped in there. Yeah. Brick, no, not Brickfields. Um, I can't think of the name of it now. But across the road. It's not there anymore now. It was a playing field. And, and the only problem was it got flooded. And I can remember once ever because they had to bus you there. And the school wouldn't pay for the bus. So you never went to sports. It was, it was abysmal. And on top of that was an all-boys school. Never saw a girl. It was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And the math teacher, well, he talked a strange language. Something like X times Y equals pi R, you know, to the power of five. And, and then he'd be away on the board. He'd be writing this down. And we'd be sat there thinking, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. But he never explained it no. to us. And then he said, copy it down. So we copy it down, and he gave us five marks. <laughs> and when it came to the exam, you know, end of term exams, if you spell your name right on the top of the page, and I lie not, you got a mark for neat writing. Because <laughs> he had to mark it that way, because he knew you couldn't answer the questions. <laughs> and when he, you know, he had a question, what's, what's the area of, of, of this circle? I don't know. And he put a two-inch two inch circle. Well, you know, what's the, what's the area? Nobody could work it out. So you just put down pi r squared, 22 over 7. And you wrote the question back out again. What's the area of this circle? Two-inch circle. And if you wrote it neatly, you got three more marks. 
And nobody knew. My identity was being set. We were not, the headmaster said, said to us in, in the last year, you know, we left school at 14 then. Like 14, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sent out into the big wide world at 14. And then his, his finishing speech was this. None of you boys are any good. <laughs> Go and be that, you know, bad van boys. Back then, the, the, the groceries used to come round the streets, didn't they? Yeah. You know, the bread man. Yeah. And he'd have a boy that would, you know, run around and do the delivery to the houses. He'd drive in it. He said, go and be that. You, you never amount to anything more. He was fixing our sympathy. I was annoyed with him. But, but you see his vision. He set our, my, or he tried to set my identity. But the problem was he come up against my mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as a head teacher, he was a tyrant. Yeah. We were, you know, when there were big lads then, but we were afraid. He was only that high. He smoked a pipe during school days. And he had the audacity to stand on the platform and talk against smoking. <laughs> With a pipe in his mouth. <laughs> But he was a tyrant. My mother brazed into his office. And he said, well, he's not a bad boy, but he'll never amount to much. She said, don't you talk about my son like that. He's not going to be a bread boy. He's not going to be a van boy. My son's going to be an apprentice. And he laughed. Now, See, he was content, providing the police didn't arrive at the school. He could keep the school running. And that's all it was. They contained us. You know? The A stream, I was in the A stream. I could read and write a little bit. B stream boys were learning to read and write. And the C stream boys couldn't even find their way to school. <laughs> I lie not. When we allow other people to determine our identity, you're in trouble. That's right. This woman does the right thing. She calls for the prophet. She doesn't blame God. She calls for the prophet. She's looking for the identity that might get her through this. You see, miracles require steps of faith. And calling for the prophet, she's on the way. She does not know yet any idea of what he's going to do or if he's going to do anything. So he says to her, ask your neighbors for jars. Her new identity is going to speak volumes to her neighbors because it's their jars that are going to be used to hold the oil. Yeah. 
but it's her oil that's going to fill those jars. Your resource is not in your neighbors. Your resource is in the oil. Your anointing that you carry, well, I don't feel I've got an anointing. Yes, you have. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is likened unto oil, comes and lives within you. And he equips you, anoints you, equips you for service. That's where your security is, in the anointing. He says, go, go and tell your sons, go out and round up all these jars. Well, the problem comes when you're on the way to America. You're never going to understand at that moment what God's going to do. You're not meant to. You're just meant to follow what he says. Go and round up the jars. But the outcome of the miracle is going to be an incredible witness and identity to the rest of that village of the goodness of God. Your problem is an amazing step to the people that you mix with in your life circle. It's not just about you. It feels like it's just about me, but it's not. It's wider based. Can you imagine the neighbor's reaction? What do you want the jars for? Well, they're going to be filled. But you've got no money. And you're going into slavery. They're coming to take you away. Just give us your jar. Can we borrow your jar? Now she has some credibility because they lent her the jars. You don't have the oil to fill them. Sometimes God sets you on a path where you don't have the ability to fulfill it. You're not meant to have the ability to fulfill it. He is. He is. I would imagine some of them even went so far as to say, you're stupid. You can't fill the jar I'm just going to give you with what you've already got. You're, you're stupid. This is irrational. It doesn't make sense. Well, I have to say, most of what God's had me say and do over the years doesn't make sense. But it's God. Yeah. And when he's in it, it comes good. Yeah. Don't expect people to understand. When you knock the door and say, can I borrow the jar? I don't know what you're going to do with it. I don't, you know. But you can have it. Borrow it. Make sure you return it. Others don't have what you have for that situation. You have enough already to start the road to a miracle. It's a question of whether you want the miracle. 
You know Noah. You know the guy who built the ark? Hundred years he worked on that. There you go, Charles. You've got to make a bit of ground up. Hundred years building an ark and it's never rained. Hundred years building an ark in the middle of a desert where there's no water. And every day they come out and they would mock him. Well, let me tell you something. You don't need an ark until it starts to rain. Then you need an ark. Some things just don't look right initially. But God's in it. So, Elisha says to her, shut the door. Keep the doubters out. Keep the inquiry people out. Shut the door. So she shut in with her two sons and Elisha. And, and, and who else is there? God. The minute you entertain the prophet, you get the prophet's reward. That's what the scripture says. If you entertain a prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. Jesus was laughed at when they called him into the house where that person had died. And he said, not dead. And they laughed him to scorn. They said, you are stupid. Can't you see the obvious? That person is dead. And you're saying they're coming back to life? You listen to the critics, you'll lose your faith. And I'll even go so far as to say this, and I say it with respect. The medical people shouldn't have the last word. No, amen. I say that with respect. There's a little boy in the corner over there. I won't embarrass him. My grandson. Whom they said... Should, should have been terminated. But his dad and his mum said no. He's the biggest little rascal you could ever meet. I admire the medical. I'm not against it. Hear me. But God has to have the last word. He's the first word, the Alpha. And he's the last word, the Omega. I want to hear from him. When something kicks into my life, I live in reality. I see it. I understand something of it. But my first call is Alpha. Jesus, you're my Alpha, my first word. And when you give me your first word, you'll give me your last word on this 
subject or topic or event, whatever it may be. She decided the size of her miracle. You can decide the size of your miracle by what comes out of here. She said to her sons, go and round up all the pots you can find. She could have said, next door to Bob Walkies and borrow a kettle. You wouldn't have got it, but she could have said that. Now, she said, going round up. She's moving with a new identity given to her by the prophet. People with, who understand that they are a new creation doesn't mean you won't get problems. In actual fact, it probably means, well, it pans out. Even the unsaved get problems. Yeah. Christians forget that. Why? Why has it happened to me? It's happening all the time in the world to somebody. Yeah. But God has entrusted me with this situation. Yeah. And he will work it through. He will change it. So go and round up all the pots because everybody in this village is going to be blessed out of my miracle. It never makes sense. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God and the enemy comes along and whispers if you won't die if you eat this and you'll be like God when they already were like God. When I became, when I accepted Jesus, I became a brand new creation. The characteristics of Jesus were given to me. More than that, because I'm a joint heir with him. I inherit everything that's been given to Jesus is mine. Not only that, but I got a new place to live. I'm seated in heavenly places. Far above all principalities and powers. I'm seated there. I don't have to call out and fight for it. I'm seated there. That's where my identity is, in heaven. It's a spiritual identity. I'm in Christ. So if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, how can I lose him? He came by the Holy Spirit and lives in me. He took that initiative when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. He did that. So my identity has come from outside and a new kingdom lives within me. And yet I'm still in this world. But I'm a brand new creation. 
old things have passed away. That's my identity. Jesus gives me my identity. So the enemy doesn't only come to challenge God's word in your life. He comes to try and take away what God has given you. And if you allow him to do that, you're on the road to destruction. Depression. Anxiety. Those are all the works of the enemy. Do you know that? It's the works of the enemy. Now, don't feel guilty if you're struggling with those things. It's time to rise up and take your new identity. I have given my life to Jesus. I am a brand new creation. I am is the first word. I am a brand new creation. I'm brand new. So I can think differently. I can act differently. I can be different. I can be like Jesus. It's a better way to live. It's the only way to live. What about you this morning? How's your identity? Is it in Christ or outside of Christ? Only you can answer that question. I can't answer that question for you. Is your identity in Christ or outside of Christ? Have you accepted him or rejected him? I know where the best place to be is. Because I've tried both. And there's only one that works, that satisfies. It's in Christ. As my Lord and Savior. Let's stand together, shall we? Maybe you've been struggling with life. You see, the enemy comes into your life and promises you an awful lot of things, but he can't deliver. He can only tempt, only offer. It's up to you to reject it or accept it. There's only two paths in life. One is Jesus Christ. The other path is destruction. Well, I'm doing okay. No, no. That's short-sightedness. Jesus said this, you must be born again. It's not a suggestion. Maybe you've not done too good in life already. Maybe you're fed up with life. That's okay. 
But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I've not come to give you religion. I've come to give you life. I'm going to give you an opportunity, maybe this morning, just to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand right now and we'll just quickly pray with you. Pray for you. Pray for you. Okay. Well, Father, I thank you that my future is not in my hands. My future is in your hands. My destiny is not in my hands. My destiny is in your hands. And I submit to your ways. I submit to your life. I thank you that my identity is not on the car I drive, the job I have, the house I live in. My identity is in you, Jesus. I thank you. And you will keep me every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.